Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. So many of us are on teams. Many of us lead teams, whether it's in your community, it's at work, at church, in different organizations. How would you like to be able to help your team play to their strengths and lead them up through the learning curve? Well, that's the topic today as we talk with Whitney Johnson, author of Build an A-Team. Whitney, welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Thank you for having me, Chad. So glad to have you here, and and it's it's uh, it's 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 such an interesting book, and it's such a great read, and it's a great follow up uh, to a, a really fabulous book, Disrupt Yourself. We're going to talk about that as well, um, about putting the power of disruptive innovation to work. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but let's talk about the newest one, building an A team. Why did you choose to to focus on that? You know, what were some of the the, the ahas that uh, that led you to that? Well, the first big aha came when I was, I had written the book Disrupt Yourself and this framework of personal disruption that was built on disruptive innovation, a framework developed by Clayton Christensen, one of my mentors. And so I would outline to people, okay, so here's how you know when it's time to do something new and here's the seven step process to do this. I frequently then had a lot of leaders and organizations say, well, I'm not going to let anybody at my company read this book because they're all going to leave. And I'd say, (laughs) no, 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 you don't understand. What you need to do is recognize that if you will not only disrupt yourself, but allow the people on your team to disrupt themselves, then you're going to have have a situation where people are going to be engaged. They're going to like working for you. They'll say you're a great boss because they're learning. And as they're engaged, they're going to be in a position where they can innovate. And if your team is innovative, then you lower your companies, your teams, your organization's disruption score. So build an A team really came out of me building a case for personal disruption on the job as a mechanism for retaining talent Um, building great organizations and lowering your disruption score. So you use mechanisms and I like to say that, you know, let's really dive into and and how do we mechanize these ideas? So, so let's say I'm a listener and, and, and I, I'm leading a team at work. Where do you start? You know, do you have to assess where everybody is? Do you have to understand, you know, uh, you obviously need to know where you're going, but what's a starting point for somebody that feels like they've got a team that could be so much better and so much stronger? Yeah, so it starts with um, the S-curve that was popularized by E.M. Rogers in 1962. And so if everybody who's listening, if you can just picture an S, uh, it looks a lot like a wave. 
at the bottom of an S, you know that growth is going to be slow. And and we use this S curve initially for disruptive innovation and picking stocks. And so you say at the bottom of the S, time passes, not much happens. Um, growth is slow, but then you reach this tipping point or the knee of a curve, 10 to 15% penetration of a market. You enter this hyper growth, so that steep part of the S. And then as you um, get to the top of that curve, 90% saturation of a market, that growth tapers off. The big aha that I had as we were applying this S-curve for investing was that it could also help us understand people. This idea that whenever you start something new, you start a new job, you start a new role, you become a new manager, you're at the bottom of that S and growth is going to be slow. Time will pass and you'll feel like, oh, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. Why did I take this job? Well, that's just because you're at the bottom of the S and eventually you're going to hit that knee of the curve if you will put in the work and then you move into the steep part of the S where all your neurons are firing, you know enough, but not too much. You're very much engaged and, and I call this the sweet spot, not surprisingly. And then as you approach mastery, the top of that curve, things will become easy, easy peasy. But because your brain is no longer getting squirts of dopamine that come when you learn, you can start to get bored. And so once you're at the top of the S, you've got to jump to the bottom of a new S. And so you learn, you leap, and then you repeat. And so for you as a manager trying to lead a team, if you can understand that everyone in your organization is on a learning curve, including you, you start to have a tool for leading the people that work for you. So one of the the, the areas that you focus on is around accelerance of learning and growth. And you've actually broken this down. And we do love when we have lists. So kind of walk us through um, how you, you look at those areas. Yeah. So there are seven accelerants of learning and growth. And these are uh, what I outline in the book, um, Disrupt Yourself, of, of how you move up a learning curve. And I'll go through them really quickly. Um, the first one is to take the right kinds of risks. Whenever it's time to start something new, it's very easy for us to think, okay, well, I'm going to go do that thing over there. Or I want that job over there where there are 10 other people applying. And um, you know, that could be a great job, but you're also having to compete for 10 other people with 10 other people. That's competitive risk. And taking the right kinds of risk is taking on market risk, where you don't know if there's a market, you don't know if there's a job, but there's a problem you think needs to be solved, you think you can solve it. Um, if you can get that job, create that market, then the odds are much higher that you will get it. And we know that from the theory of disruption, the odds of success are six times higher when you pursue a disruptive course, which involves taking on market risk. And so the first step or first accelerator is to think always about what you can create rather than what you're going to compete. And so you start by by playing where no one else is playing. So that's the first step. The second step or accelerant as you start to move up that curve is to play to your distinctive strengths, the things that you do well that other people around you do not. Um, a great example of that is the koala. We think, oh, the koala, cuddly little animal, sleeps up to 20 hours a day. How can it actually survive? Well, it survives because it eats eucalyptus leaves, which are poisonous to everyone but the koala. And so this is its distinctive strength. And once you know what your strengths are, for example, if you want to figure out what yours are and you're thinking, I don't know what they are, just for the next couple of days, listen to the compliments that you receive before you deflect them because you'll try to deflect them or before you think, oh, I've heard that compliment a million times. Why don't they tell me about things that I worked hard to learn? Those compliments are your genius. And if you will write them down and 
actually play to them, then you're going to feel strong. And when you feel strong, you're willing to play where no one else is playing. And so now you're, you've really set the stage for being able to move into the steep part of that learning curve. Number three, then, is to embrace your constraints. We think, if only I had enough time, money, buy-in expertise, if I had Oprah as my fairy godmother, <laughs> then I could do this. But we know from the law of physics that we actually need something to bump up against. And it's that friction that allows us to move up that learning curve. Number four, you battle your own sense of entitlement. So now you think about you're on the steep part of the curve and it's very easy to say, things are great. I'm just going to leave the people where they are. I'm going to leave them be. There's nothing, you know, I'll just let them go. But in fact, what we need to do is we need to um, battle our sense of entitlement of, I, I want things right where they are, where they've always been, and instead ask questions like, how could we do this differently? How might we do this differently? Um, and that will give us what we need in order to continue to climb the curve. That's number four. Number five, step back to grow. Sideways can frequently be a slingshot. You bring your fist back to punch. You you crouch before you jump. And in the theory of disruption, we know that you frequently have to step back in order to to catapult forward. Number six um, is give failure its due. We talk a lot about failure, fail fast, but the thing that we have to understand is that the up and the down are part of personal disruption. Even when you lose your job, you think, oh, I lost my job, it was political, how did I lose my job? Well, we know that sometimes we get to the top of a learning curve and we know it's time for us to go because remember, we're not getting that dopamine, right. but we're afraid to go. And so the universe just gives us an, its nudge. And so sometimes failure is actually, not even sometimes, frequently, failure is an important and vital part of personal disruption. It's a constraint. It's a tool of creation. And then number seven, the accelerant is to be willing to be discovery driven, to take a step forward, to gather feedback and adapt. We know from Corn Ferry that one of the leading predictors of C-suite success is dealing with ambiguity. And so we say to ourselves, you know what, I'm going to climb this learning curve, but I'm going to be willing to discover along the way. We know from business that 70% of all successful businesses end up in a place they hadn't anticipated. And it's why would it be any different for us as individuals? And so we can put those seven accelerants together, taking the right risks, playing to your strengths, embracing your constraints, battling entitlement, stepping back in order to grow, giving the failure that we experience its due and then being discovery driven. Those are steps. Those are accelerants that allow you once you've made a decision to jump to a new curve to move up its move up that curve systematically and effectively great information there and and uh, um, the the next area that, that we think about is is how do you actually start to build that team and one of the the, the things that I really appreciate at the Blanchard organization I'm at the time of the recording I'm coming up on 15 years in the the hiring process the onboarding process uh, the the selection process rather is 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 rigorous and and Ken likes to say you know um, if if we hire the right people even if we didn't hire them into the right role we hired the right person we're going to find something for them because they're a good fit and they're a good cultural fit how do you address that how do you actually um, build a, a team um, how do you look for the right people um, before they're even on your team 
Uh, such a great question. Well, I think one of the things to think about in hiring is this goes back to this idea of playing where no one else is playing is to be willing to hire people who haven't necessarily done the job before. Um, it's it's so easy for us to want to hire people at the top of the curve rather than the bottom of the curve. And yet we know time plus competence equals boredom. And so you're going to get a lot more out of a person if you're willing to hire at the low end of the curve. Let me give you a quick, quick example. I'm working with a a growth stage startup in a high growth market mm-hmm. are very competitive from a talent perspective. And and engineers, not surprisingly, are in very high demand. But it turns out that they want engineers three years out of school. Um, the engineers who are just straight out of school, no one wants people who are at the low end of the curve. And so for an organization, this particular organization who's willing to hire engineers straight out of school and train them, then when they start to get to the top of the curve and everybody else is circling, trying to take on that competitive risk of hiring people away, people are loyal because they've been learning and they want to stay. And so they've got, they're able to retain the talent because they've respected this idea and notion of a learning curve. So when we look at having the team on board and I love the example of of you know bringing in people that have already kind of gone through the scratches and and uh, and the the frustrations of of taking on a new job you know like you said your example of a, an engineer right out of school versus somebody 3 years in the beauty of those new hires and we know this at Blanchard you know when people come on to a new task they're enthusiastic beginners and and sometimes it's it's uh, it's adorable because they have no idea what they don't know and so there's this learning curve how do you as a leader taking on those newer people in that role how um, you know what are what are some pieces of advice that you would give to kind of help help kind of help mm-hmm. people kind of get from from learning to doing yeah. So great question. I, 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 you, you bring out this point or this idea of you're at the low end of the learning curve. So what do we know? We know that there are probably going to be days for you as a manager where you think, I thought they were good at the time that I hired them, but now I'm not so sure. Maybe this was a bad hire. Um, and what we know then from the learning curve is that, well, it might be a bad hire, but they probably need at least three to six months at the low end of the curve where everything's this jumble of pieces and they've got to put them together and they will um, you expect to be able to put them together within six to nine months. The other thing, though, that is important in managing people at the low end of the curve, and you just really alluded to this, Chad, is to value their inexperience. And one of the things that we really advocate for is that on a team, when you're constructing a team, you have at least 15% of your people at the low end of the learning curve at any given time because they can do exactly what you said, which is ask questions like, why do you do it like this? Or have you thought about doing it this way? Which sometimes can be um, annoying because you think, oh, I just want them to get to work. And then other times you think you're actually kind of threatened because they're saying, why do you do it like this? And yet those questions of why do you do it like this can very much open the door to innovation. All right. So that's that's where people start. And and one of the the challenges I think uh, that I've seen when I've led different teams is to understand people 
in their roles and helping them kind of shift into their roles. So if we think about a team um, and us as the leader, as be more like a coach, you have to understand where people are positionally. Like who's this, you know, use a basketball analogy. Who's going to bring the ball up the court? Who's going to be underneath the basket at the center? Who's going to be out on the wings? How do you determine and how do you get people to kind of adapt and how do you slot people into where they're they're at their strengths? And and because obviously the, the, the goal of a team is, is that that one plus one equals three, you know, and then, or, you know, five people is the strength of 10. So how do you focus on getting people where they're playing to their strengths? Oh, such a great question. So um, you, you actually suggested or intimated one of the, the questions, and this goes back to this idea of strengths, is a, a minute ago, I, I shared with you that oftentimes we don't know what our strengths are. Right. And so people overvalue what they are not, they undervalue what they are, which means that everything that I am, that you are, that you do best, because it's so reflexive for you, it's so easy for you, you may not actually even have it on your resume. Mm. It may be possible that when you were interviewing for your job that you talked about all the things that you do well, not what you do best. And so it's it's one of the reasons why we oftentimes hire people into the wrong role. And so part of what what you want to be doing as a manager and as a leader when you first hire people is to to be aware of the fact that it might not be quite the right role. You've made a decision. You think they're a good hire. These are people who you've sussed out and you have this sense that they're resilient when they make a mistake. They're able to give failure its due. So you want them on board, but you're also open to this idea that it may mean that they're going to move around. And let me give you a quick story around that. I think that will illustrate this idea is Michelle McKenna Doyle. She's the CIO, Chief Information Officer at the NFL, the National Football League. And when she joined the firm or not not the firm, the organization, <laughs> she realized, okay, a lot of the people on my team, they're not really like in the right roles given their strengths. And uh, she, one fellow in particular, John Cave, he, uh, he was in charge of all systems and she's looking at him thinking he's not in the right role. Like what he's actually really good is at building things. Mm. And so she goes to John and she says, I want to move you. I want to pull some of this system stuff. You know, I don't want you to manage payroll. I want you to focus on building things. And he initially demurred. He's like, no, I, you're, you're taking all this stuff away from me. I don't <laughs> want to do this. She's like, no, you're good at building things. Trust me, you're going to be a great innovator. And he's the guy who's made all these advances when you see, you know, the, the Super Bowl and, and the coaches talking to each other through those headphones. He has helped advance the technology technology around those headphones significantly because she put him in a slot where he could build things. But again, once we when we hire people, we often hire people into the wrong role. They lead with what they do well, not with what they do best. We have to be willing to move them around. And when we do move them around, recognize that they may be very reluctant because they will feel like you don't actually value them when what you're saying is I do value you. I see what you do best. Now let me give you a stretch assignment. Let me give you an opportunity to really flex because we're going to be pushing you from from a place of your actual innate strengths and talents. That's a great that's a great story and, and a great example of that. And so when I think about 
when when you talked about the the S curve of learning and and it's very it's it's it, there's a lot of uh, similarities to to SL two the situation leadership two model in that you know the, really the goal of a leader is to move people through the development continu- continuum as as quickly and as effectively and efficiently as possible and so if I have like ten or fourteen different key tasks you as the leader you need to focus on the areas where I'm learning and helping get me to doing um, one of the areas that you focus on and you, and, and you did some research into this is, is helping people kind of leap to, to new areas of discomfort, as you call them, new, uh, new learning curves. That, it, it can be comfortable, and you said the dopamine is gone when you're not taking on new tasks, but it can be really comfortable to master it at, at pretty much all your new tasks. How do you kind of pull people as a leader to where they want to take something on, where they are going to fail, where they're going to struggle, where it's going to be a, a tedious process? How do we get them to want to do it? Yeah, well, how do you how do you move? How do you help people? <laughs> yeah, I guess you you know you, do you do you get them to want to do that? But as a leader, you're gonna have to help push them to kind of take on new learning curves. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, Chad, because you're going to have some people who are chomping at the bit, right? They're at the top of the line. They, they have this instinctive. It's this game of shoots and ladders. It's very instinctive. They know that they're at the top of a learning curve and they can feel it. And they say to you, okay, it's time. I'm ready. I, I need to do something new. And and those ones are the challenges is to find a new learning curve for them within the organization. And if you can't, ideally on your team, if you can't on your organization, if you can't, then a client. Um, but Either way, you're willing to allow them to jump to a new learning curve because you want to build vast networks of A-teams, and that's the right thing to do, not only for your business, but for that person as an individual. I think that was the other question that you're, you seem to be asking is, what do I do when I get someone who's at the top of the learning curve? And they're kind of like, you know, I, I, I like it here. I don't really want to jump to a new learning curve. And there are a, a number of things that you can do. Um, you can and uh, start by walking them through this 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 paradigm of okay you're on a learning curve you've been in this role for three to four years you really have started to master it we know that you're not getting those dopamine hits in order for us to unleash the innovative capacity that you have um, we need to have you jump to a new learning curve that can be a starting point so that the people that you're talking to don't feel like you're trying to get rid of them but in fact you're trying to get more out of them and this isn't a this isn't a about um, not wanting them. It's about really wanting them to be able to step up considerably. So that's that's a starting place. If you have people who are at the top of the curve, they don't want to jump, you can't make them jump, There are you can give them stretch assignments. So you can do what you would do on the steep part of the curve and give them something really tough to do mm-hmm. that pushes them in ways that um, are certainly within the scope of the job that they're doing. Let me give you a quick example. Okay. I, I Last year I was in India. I spoke at SAP. I talked to this mid-level manager. He's an engineer by training and he just inherited this team. And um, they were at the top of the curve. They didn't want to jump. And he he really wasn't in a position to make them jump, but he could make them stretch. And so he said, all right, well, how can I do that? They had a big management presentation that was coming up. And instead of 
you know, preparing the way they'd always prepared. He's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to practice. We're going to practice and practice and practice. And they complained, like they vociferously complained, (laughs) but then the presentation goes well. And at the end of the year in their performance review, they cited this as a highlight. And so I think that, again, back to this idea of everybody's on a learning curve. We all want to learn. Like we, we're learning machines. We want to not know how to do something, figure out how to do it and master it. And so when people get to the top and they don't want to jump, it's usually because they're scared. And so for us as a manager, how do we de-risk that for them? And we de-risk that by helping them understand that this isn't giving them the boot. It's giving them an opportunity to move upstairs, do something even better. And if if, if all else fails, just start to push them gently where they are um, in order to help them see, oh, this isn't so scary. Yes, I can do this. And then the third thing I think is important, and this goes back to this idea of failure, they have to know you have their back. Mm. They have to know that you you are pushing them and you're you are framing expectations with your boss right. so that as they're doing this developmental assignment if it doesn't work, you've you've framed it such that we're going to do this. It's an experiment. 70% chance it'll work. If it doesn't work, it's still the right thing to do in terms of developing this individual. I think we should take on this risk. Then that person's going to say, okay, my job isn't at risk. If I will go all in and I will experiment with this and I will do this, if it doesn't work, it's okay. We'll figure it out. It, and so the only risk for me then is if I don't do it, if I don't do go, go all in, then then I become at risk. And so those are a couple of suggestions for how you can get people to jump to a new curve. Great, great suggestions. We're talking with Whitney Johnson, author of books uh, Dare, Dream, Do, the book uh, Disrupt Yourself, and the book we've been talking about mostly today, Build an A-Team. Whitney, is, is kind of reflect back on, on everything that uh, we've talked about today. You've given us some great insights, and we're going to have a lot of those in the show notes. Uh, I, I welcome people to, to uh, um, take a look and, and, uh, and, and pick up this book, Build an A-Team, fantastic, and the Disrupt Yourself as well. Um, what is the one thing you want our listeners to kind of take away from our conversation today? The one thing. I've said it, but I'm going to repeat it. Yeah. Everyone's on a learning curve. Yeah. Sometimes people will say, I've had a CEO say to me, my people aren't on a learning curve. And I said, he was frustrated and I understood and I got it. But every single person's on a learning curve, including you. And so as you consider that for yourself, for the people on your team, you will have have a tool for really figuring out how to manage people all along their own individual curves. Excellent. Whitney Johnson, thank you so much for your time. Tell me uh, and tell the listeners, if people want to dig a little bit deeper into you, find out some more about you, uh, um, where's a good place for them to get started? They can go to WhitneyJohnson.com forward slash, if they'd like, diagnostic and take the learning curve locator to figure out where you currently are on your learning curve. That's probably the best way to start. And again, just WhitneyJohnson.com. We'll have that in the show notes as well. Uh, Whitney, thank you so much for being a part of the Leader Chat today. Thank you so much for uh, all of your insights and your wisdom. Thank you for having me, Chad. And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or wherever you're listening. And please share this with your friends. 
The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. I really enjoyed Chad's interview with Whitney Johnson and talking about her book, Build an A-Team, but also getting back to her philosophy about uh, disrupt yourself. And what she said at the end, I thought was really powerful in terms of what she wanted us all to remember, is that everyone's on a learning curve. And I've said for a long time, if you stop learning, lie down and let people throw the dirt on you because you're already dead. And so a manager of a team wants to constantly create opportunities for their people to continue to learn. Don't get people into a job where they've grown over time and now they really know how to do it and they get themselves into a rut, you know, and that kind of thing. But what can you do to give them a chance uh, to learn? Um, Margie, uh, my wife, always says that there's three responsibilities that you have as a manager. The first one is to do your job, which you're evaluated by your manager. The second is to develop your people. And the third one is to talk to your people about career opportunities. And it's interesting, in the second one about, you know, uh, help your people win, you're obviously trying to get people with their present assignments and move them through her S learning curve until they really move in in terms of SL2 from enthusiastic beginners to self-directed achievers in most of their their goals. Uh, And, uh, you know, that's really a part of your responsibility. How do you help people win, accomplish their goals? But what Margie's saying is that you ought to also be talking to people constantly about what are your career ambitions and and not be having a position in mind, you know, a place that you have them, but just kind of talk to people. What you're really saying in Whitney's terms is where do you want to grow to? Where do you want to go? And I think people really get excited about you talking to them about that because, you know, you don't have to settle it in one discussion and all, but what it really says to them is that I think that every one of us is on a learning curve and I want to know uh, where you might want to go next in terms of your responsibilities uh, to learn more and, and to, to mutually get excited about, you know, how do we build this team where we're all really good at what we do, but we're also still always realizing that we're in a learning mode and ready to maybe take on new assignments and all, because you don't want to suffocate your people and hold on to them. You want to create opportunities for them to continue to learn. And if you can do that uh, in your own team, that is really great. Uh, But uh, don't feel that that, uh, having a discussion about what is your career aspirations is going to say, we want you out of here. It's just saying, I care about you. I want to know where you want to go next in your learning. So Good on you, Whitney. I think it's really good stuff. Uh, And I think you're absolutely right. Everybody is in a learning curve. So don't let people settle uh, for where they are, but keep on moving them. God bless. God bless.